You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, so glad that you're here. Merry Christmas to you all a little bit early. We're going to look at um, last week. I'll, I'll share what I shared last week at the beginning, which was I've served in sort of roles, pastoral and musical, in very different regions of the country now. And one of the things that I found important to do is kind of like a missionary who would go into a culture and exegete that culture in a way, you know, analyze what makes this culture tick, what's what about this culture uh, sort of tells the story. Um, I wanted to do that anywhere I went. And, and one of the things you do as a musician is you listen for the kind of native voice of any culture's music and ask the question of how can our local church uh, in in while staying connected to the tradition and the faith passed down from us, uh, also connect with what the Lord is doing in His good world out there. And uh, what you find, especially as we watch some of these clips from the Muscle Shoals documentary, is that regions have a sound, and especially regions with a lot of history and culture do. And you hear this voice from uh, Native American culture about this place known as Alabama, and you hear this voice from the people who moved here in this very special time in the 60s and 70s when something happened around a small town called Muscle Shoals. And the reason I'm sort of unpacking this is because we've recorded uh, over the last two years from our Lessons and Carols services in the evening, which is tonight. I'd encourage you, uh, if you're enjoying the kind of sights and sounds of today, to come back tonight at 5 o'clock where we have a wonderful compliment to what happened on Thursday, which, by the way, if you missed it, you need to come. Our lessons and carols are the best in town, I think. Uh, we tell the story really well. And Fred and Charles and the choir and our organists do, all do a great job. And this is the sort of compliment to that. And so when you ask the question about what what is the sound of Alabama, I actually found... Um, that more than any other place I lived, maybe with the exception of Hawaii, um, definitely California and Los Angeles where I lived, Denver where I lived, to a lesser degree in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, because there was an, a native sound there. In Alabama, there really is, especially as a result of the blues music that came out of the South from African-American and Native American cultures, and then uh, how that fused with kind of country and that's what you find coming out of Muscle Shoals, actually. And I wanted to ask the question, what does that sound mean for the way that we sing? And so we experimented with some arrangements of Christmas carols this way. And I want to talk about those arrangements eventually as a way of tying in some of the themes of my two favorite Christmas carols. Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Joy to the World. Joy to the World actually isn't a Christmas carol, but it's become that. And you will get slayed if you try to do it any other time of year, even though it works well every other time of year because it's actually about Jesus' second coming, not his first, interestingly enough. When Isaac Watts wrote it, he wasn't thinking about Christmas at all. It just got co-opted and then sequestered and then, you know, things started happening. But nevertheless, we're going to go over both those things. Um, I do want to open us up with clips from this documentary that I've seen many, many times. It brings me to tear every time, tears every time I've seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing. And if you're from Alabama, you should take a lot of pride in the way they talk about the sound coming out of this place. And so we're going to watch um, about 10 minutes worth of, of different clips. This first one is interviewing Rick Hall, who is the founder of Fame Studios and the kind of 
the brainchild behind the Muscle Shoals sound. He's going to be talking about that sound, and then you'll get into the musicians and their story as well, and I'm super pumped to be playing these things for you. So here we go, if I can find my mouse. There it is. I can only see it on that screen. Oh, so far away. Oh. Can you slip away? first record I cut in the studio was a record called Steal Away by Jimmy Hughes, brand new building, and I was hoping it had the magic. I didn't know. So I brought my band in, and I went up into the control room and sat down. I turned on the microphones and nervously hit the talkback button to the musicians and said with a slap crackle in my voice, rolling. kicked off still away, I sat behind the console and wept. I just had huge chill bumps come up on my arms and the hair on the back of my neck actually stood up. And of course, this was the birth of the Muscle Show song. Producers tell me that we got some kind of sound here that they can't get anywhere else. They have to come here. It's that old, deep down into your stomach, coming up out of your gut, coming up out of your heart. That's that muscle show sound. Ireland and Britain and we felt the blood in that we felt the, the sort of pulse of it and we wanted some you know you gotta understand the Muscle Show had its own kind of R&B different from Memphis different from Detroit different from New York different from LA how did it happen in this little town of 8,000 people this starts this whole style of music. It always seems to come out of the river. You know, even in Liverpool, you know, the Mersey sound. And then, of course, Mississippi. And here you have the Tennessee River. It's like the songs come out of the mud. 
All right, so that's kind of the first clip, and then it goes on to talk, uh, it talks with a, a Native American man about the history of that place and about how the Native Americans feel like w- those who lived there could hear the river sing. And then when they got, uh, when they got displaced, he was talking about how his grandma came back because she went to all the other rivers that she was at and she couldn't hear the river sing. And so she came back and, uh, I believe in, uh, the one true God. <laughs> I believe he created this world. There's something mystical about the connection that's a little bit hard to define scientifically between um, our souls and nature and the kinds of things that we hear. But you sort of listen to this story of Muscle Shoals and the music that came out and you hear the way these people talk about the soul of the place and the sound of it and the people that you'll eventually meet that are part of this band that uh, ironically make all these hit records behind these artists who you know. Uh, and you realize there is something to the way God gives special gifts to a, a physical place. And I mean, I don't know those of you who are native to Alabama looking at all that scenery, feeling like your heart a little bit. Oh, that's my place. You know, you see the trees and the river and the way things look and uh, the industry and all that combining. And that it really feels like Birmingham. It really feels like like this place. And there's something really special about it. And so now we're going to go and meet the band. Uh, there were actually two iterations. The first was the original Hitmakers. They were part of um, Rick Hall's original band. Uh, and they were the first ones to kind of make the hits. But they got famous so fast that a bunch of other um, studios in Nashville and New York nabbed them up. And then came uh, the famous band from the country named the Swampers. And so we're going to kind of meet the tail end of the first band going into the Swampers. And uh, that's where you'll kind of see the personal side of it. This original Muscle Shoals rhythm section opened for the Beatles in 1964, their first American concert. And of course, a year later, at 65, we all go to Nashville. These guys went on to become great pickers and producers and learned from experience here at Fame, man, we can do it. When they left, there was nobody else. We were the only game in town for him to get. <laughs> They took the ball that we started rolling, and they rolled it and made it bigger. Individually, I never really thought we were great players, but together we were great players. We had the magic together. Does he look so ordinary? We liked playing funky. All funky was is that we didn't know how to make it smooth. <laughs> we're like the players, okay? You just didn't expect them to be as funky or as greasy as they were. The groove that we set up came from the blues music. I remember when Paul Simon called Sax Records, talked to Al Bell, and said, Hey man, I want those same black players that played on I'll Take You There. He said, That can happen, but these guys are mighty pale. <laughs> Is that a great shot? A lot of people could not believe that my whole band was white guys that played behind me. People have arrived at Muscle Shows expecting to meet these black dudes. And they're a bunch of white guys that look like they worked in the supermarket around the corner. <laughs> Muscle Shows rhythm section, David Hood, bass player. 
Jimmy Johnson guitar. <coughs> Roger Hawkins drums. Barry Beckett keyboard player. Later on became known as the Swampers. The strong rhythm section made the difference when you went to studio every day with the same pickers and same players and they became a team and it was hard to beat that. All right, so you're introduced now to the Swampers, this group of country dudes that knew how to really jam together and create a pocket. And so one of the, one of the things that you're hearing is the theme of uh, of this black-white thing. That's a real thing uh, still down in the South. But what you need to realize is that these Swampers made some of the greatest hits of that era. In fact, there was a time where Rick Hall was at odds with another producer, and they brought all the Swampers up to New York to record with Aretha Franklin because she started down there and realized, oh my gosh, there's something special about making music with these dudes. And do you know that those guys are the backing band for Respect? Uh, so a bunch of Aretha's greatest hits, along with a bunch of others, are from these guys, from our state, you know. Uh, and there's a story here that I want to begin to share that gets at these Christmas carols and why I think it might... We talked last week about art and fittingness. You know, uh, when music and text fit well together, they kind of tell the same story. And when music fits text well, it amplifies the story. And so I want to get at a little bit more of that that story, um, and then talk about why that might be something, why it might be cool, and not just cool, but actually fitting to set Hark the Herald Angels Sing to uh, a Muscle Shoals style. Hi, George C. Wallace. During that era of recording basically all black acts, you got to remember that George Wallace was standing in the schoolhouse door at the University of Alabama, making sure that no black people came to school there. And I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. This was a politics that could not see past the color of your skin. It's the kind of thing that I know people of this era, they wouldn't want to believe what it used to be. I think of all the times when we used to take a break from the studio to go out and eat. I was somewhat frightened from time to time when we'd go and buy dinner for half a dozen black people. That's where you saw, like, what are, what are y'all doing sitting there? Even though the civil rights movement was already in effect, it still hadn't dawned on people that this is the new era. This is Mr. Uh, Robert or uh, Mr. Jimmy, but 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 in the studio we got away from that. It was Jimmy. It was Robert. It was Clarence. You know. 
you just worked together. You never thought about who was white, who was black. You thought about the common thing, and it was the music. We were colorblind. There was never any situation came up in the studio here ever about you're black and I'm white. You know, you think about the South. They didn't believe the black and white people could live together. And here are vinyl records that prove that not only can they live together, you might even know who's black and who's white. At the time, this was revolutionary stuff. Music played a big part in changing the thoughts of people, especially in the South, about race. By us being in muscle shows and uh, putting music together, I, I think it went a long ways to help people understand that we all were just humans. So I know that if you're like me, you're kind of watching that you're feeling a little cringy in moments because that's our history together as a nation and as a state. And uh, there's something hopeful about that. I think one of the beautiful things that kind of always made me cry whenever I'd watch this documentary was that um, in the middle of all the turmoil going on in our area, uh, there was this pocket, this place where it was almost like the Lord was prophesying by bringing people together to make this music that was sheer joy. And you, when you listened to it, you didn't necessarily know that it was the sound of reconciliation, but it was. And it, it almost was so reconciled that you weren't thinking about the reconciliation. You were just thinking about the joy that was on the other side of that. Um, and I think that that's, that's beautiful. Um, and it speaks to our, our church's mission as a society. And here we are. I mean, we're a room uh, full of white people, you know, in downtown Birmingham, in a church that shares a story with all this. Um, and we hear this word from Paul that seems to resonate down through the ages when you're sort of captivated by something like this, when you hear these folks talk. Therefore, this is from 2 Corinthians 5, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you, but giving you cause to boast in us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is of the heart. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is all from God, who through Christ. And this is where the church actually has something to say to these issues. Because ultimately, no government policy, if you read your Bible honestly, no government policy or really great strong leadership or charismatic uh, speaking has the power. It's only the gospel that has the power to reconcile us to God and therefore with one another. I mean, I don't know if you ever noticed that moment in the liturgy when we say the peace of the Lord be always with you. That's vertical, right? We say, and it, it follows this chain of, of liturgy that says you're forgiven. You've confessed your sin. You're forgiven. And so may the peace of the Lord be always with you. So because of that reconciliation, you're reconciled to God. What do we do after that? We stand and we greet one another. We don't do that just because it's handshake time. We do that because when we're reconciled to God, we are reconciled to one another. 
And I know it seems a little cheesy, but that's one of the reasons we shake each other's hand is to say, oh my gosh, because of who I am in Christ, all the baggage between me and my brothers and sisters in the world really does fall by the wayside because the Lord has reconciled us to himself. And so the old has passed away and the new has come. This is all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So reconciliation is a work of the Lord, right? Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, this famous verse, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What I find when I hear this music is a bit of the picture of that. No, they weren't thinking about Jesus. No, they weren't meditating on the scripture, but they were tapped into something that uh, we have more central revelation of because not because we're privileged, but because we have the Bible and the Bible tells us, oh my gosh, if there's going to be anything that brings us together around this, it is the confession that we need Jesus, our sin, and then Jesus providing us with the reconciliation between us and God that causes this horizontal thing. So the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Did you ever notice? Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. So what would it be like for a church in Alabama to try to imagine singing this song with that sound? Well, that's what we were after. And so you've heard a little bit of the Muscle Shoals sound, and I want to give you sort of our take on uh, Hark the Herald Angels Singing. It's going to take me a while to find it. It's full of joy. There it is. Amen. 
favorite verse coming up. All right, pause for a little bit. Some people, when they put this hymn in hymnals, try to correct that you. Because they're like, what does that have to do? Is that some sort of pagan worship sun god type thing? Uh, No. Son of Righteousness is a biblical reference from Malachi. Do you remember kind of the final bit of Malachi before the New Testament hits, before Jesus hits the scene? What does it say? The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, right? So that was very purposeful by Charles Wesley to put that in there. And then, of course, he means sun because he's talking about light. And then he's singing about risen with healing in his wings. So little trumpets to kind of sound like heralding angels and just the joy of the reconciliatory muscle shoal sound. This is my favorite verse. As long as I'm here at the Advent, I will make sure we sing Hark the Herald in every service, every time on Christmas. Because there's nothing that encapsulates all the beauty of the gospel more than this. Mild he lays his glory by. That's from Philippians 2. Christ, though he were in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But, I mean, these lines, born that man no more may die. I mean... The holidays are a time of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Because why? Well, our loved ones who died, there's always that gap at the dinner table, right? And for those who are in Christ, this promise is sure that that first death doesn't get, doesn't get the last word because of who he is, you know? He's risen with healing in his wings, which means this first death isn't the ultimate death. He's born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. I mean, you don't have better lines than this. This is why last week and in my sermon last week, and why I'll say it again, whenever we talk about the incarnation of Jesus, it always needs to be tethered to the cross. It's one story. Because Jesus came for a very specific purpose. And it wasn't just merely to say, because I'm taking on flesh, I value humanity. It wasn't just to say that. It was to say also humanity is very undignified and needs me. They need second birth and nothing short of God coming in and dying and rising again as first fruits for people is going to cause this to happen. So uh, that's why I love Hark the Herald Angels Sing um, and why we tried to fit it to something. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you just want your organ and choir as I do too. Uh, maybe you don't like this, but there's something about the sound, something that happened in Muscle Shoals back then, that I find incredibly moving 
and meaningful. And so now I want to go on to Joy to the World. It's our other sort of really muscle shoalsy arrangement. Maybe before I do, I want to play Ah, uh, I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers just because I love the way it sounds. And it's like quintessential muscle shoals sound. Uh, it's so good. Let's hopefully, I hope I can find it. Here it is. All right, wait, we're going to listen to that intro again. Here's the deal. You know, for folks like me in 2019, we record to click tracks. You know what click tracks are? It's like when, when we have headphones on, you can hear the beat sort of clicking to you so you know to play exactly on beat. They didn't have click tracks back then. Everything was by being together and by feel. And you can feel the organic way that they're playing together. You can feel the way that they're all sort of locked in and you hear the way they're sitting back on the beat and it, it just feels like muscle shoal. It feels like the sound. Uh, one of the things they talk about that was revolutionary in the studio at Muscle Shoals that became kind of worldwide in recording technology was this was really one of the first places where they would close mic the drums. What I mean by that is before this era, the way that they would mic a drum kit was uh, like one on the kick, a, a mic on the snare and a couple overheads. And Muscle Shoals and a few other studios were the place where they put a mic on every drum. And what that enabled, they said one of the things that that enabled them to do uh, when they close mic to the kick drum was actually in the mix. And the way they mixed, they were able to bring up just the kick. And now you and I don't realize if you listen to just any modern music at all, that mixing style is ubiquitous. And it gives us a strong, it's why pop music is so strongly rhythmic now. And you, you listen to like earlier Beatles recordings versus just later things post 60s and you hear a distinctly different sound in the drums and it, its feel is different. And Muscle Shoals was part of what birthed that. So there's a strong kind of rhythmic element and you hear that coming out. So I'm going to play it again. Just listen to the beats. Listen to the way there's so much space in the sound. And then just the soulful singing where you couldn't necessarily overdub and record and auto-tune yourself and you just had to, you had to come from your gut and be right the first time, you know? It sounds so good. Electric guitar and the bass guitar playing together, that little group. What kind of keyboard is that, Joey? Is it a Whirly, a Rhodes? Woo! Ah, hear those horns, how they lay back on the groove? Help me, Lord. Man, I don't know. I don't know where they're going, but if they're going to take me there, I'm in. Like, I'm going. <laughs> Wherever you want to take me, I, you haven't described it, and they never really do in the song, I don't think, but I kind of want to go there, right? Take me there. It's so good. Um, and you want to listen to this if you can. I don't have it, but like you want to listen to this on vinyl. Just the warmth, the whole thing. You need the whole experience. Or a good pair of headphones or something like that. Oh, man, there's nothing better. And this is the sound of our state. This is the sound of something that happened. This sound was so infectious that bands all over the world, the biggest bands, said, I want to record there. There's something sort of mystical about that place, and I want to do it. So the Rolling Stones have a record here. Who else has a record here? Do you all know? Who else has a record here? 
Sorry, what? Leonard Skinner has a record here. They sang about the Swampers in their famous song, you know? So, what else? You guys know of any other bands that, that made it here? Almond Brothers. Brothers, certainly, certainly. Oh man, those guys could jam. Joy to the World. All right, we're going to listen to this. Um, it's got some of that same sort of feel and groove in it. to a third verse that's a little bit different. I want to tell you about Isaac Watts for a second. Isaac Watts who wrote this non-Christmas hymn. This is about Jesus' second coming. It wasn't about Christmas, interestingly enough. So if anything, we should probably sing it during Advent and not Christmas, but I know that I will be fired on Monday by you all if I ever do that because we're so far down that, you know, that river that we're never coming back. Uh, Isaac Watts, one of the things that he loved to do was to take psalms and reinterpret them in the light of Jesus. Did you know that Joy to the World is Isaac Watts's Christological take on Psalm 98? It's Isaac Watts's take, uh, uh, thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done, interpreted out of, out of Psalm 98. Here it is. You know it. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation and revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. And so Watts was reading through this hymn and singing, what ultimately does this? Well, it's the, it's the longing of the justice and the reconciliation and the power of Jesus' second coming. And that's what joy to the world actually is. Uh, so it's meant to be something kind of festive and beautiful, uh, which is why it's set to the classical tune that it is in our day and age. Uh, when we get into this third verse, it's my favorite verse of uh, the song. And so we arranged it with a little bit of a darker hue. Uh, it's so good. And this is where we kind of got m most muscle shoalsy in the sort of style. So listen up. sins and sorrows nor thorns infest the crowd. Here comes the switch. He comes to 
here comes a really great saxophone solo. So uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, one of the things we did upon arrival was I hit up my musical friends who were from Birmingham and I said, give me your Rolodex of musicians. Uh, and so they put me in touch with a lot of people that I went out to coffee and hung out with and meals. And I got to know a particular guy named Chad Fisher, who happens to play with St. Paul and the Broken Bones and got to know Chad. And he kind of liked what Advent was about. And I said, what if we tried to do like Muscle Shoalsy style you know, kind of Christmas songs. Would you be interested in arranging the horns for them? And he said, yes. And so uh, he did. And he's been playing with us at Lessons and Carols now for this is going to be the fourth year. And he brings in a couple friends, Rob Alley, who's a great jazz trumpet player. He teaches at uh, University of Alabama in their jazz department. And uh, then Gary Wheat, who's playing that sax solo. He's He plays clarinet and sax. And you'll get to hear all of them tonight if you come at five. Uh, and that's the joy of making this music together and, and hearing these, uh, these musicians. What I love about that third verse, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. And then this line that's just almost better than any line in any hymn. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, right? So good. Uh, it's so thorough. God's grace is, is so penetrating and so wide, which means that God will one day cover this world with his healing grace. And as far as that curse is found, footnote, which is everywhere, according to Paul in Romans 3, that's where God will make his blessings flow one day. There's so much hope in that. And so what I find in this musical style, prophesying a future that's not quite here in the United States or in the world of reconciliation between peoples, but prophesying that is a hopeful word and a hopeful sound. That's why we wanted to put these Christmas carols in this way, not taken away from the traditional Christmas that we all know and love, but adding to it with a a voice of God and sinners reconciled. So let me close in prayer and we'll be done. Our Father, we ask that you be pleased to show us the glories and magnificence of Jesus this Christmas. Help us not get lost so much in um, the commercialized aspect of what the season is that we don't remember and are freshly impacted by this incarnation where Jesus would uh, become a baby and take on flesh and that the shadow of that crib would be, in fact, in the shape of a cross. And so as we think about this baby, Father, uh, as we think about the son that you sent, remind us of who Jesus is and what he's done. And I pray that you'd comfort my brothers and sisters in this room with that word that Jesus has sealed um, life forevermore, both in this life and the next, and that he was born so that we would not die. We cling to that promise from you, from the scriptures today afresh. In the mighty name of Jesus, our incarnate, dead and risen Savior, we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.